3: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, uh, this is uh, um, Let Us Reason, and I'm your host, Al Fadi. Um, last week, we had a special, basically, uh, program uh, in light of the terror attack that took place uh, in Brussels, and today I want it to be also a continuation of that special reporting and then, uh, Lord willing, uh, starting next week, we'll resume back again our discussions related to the topic of the God of Islam and the God of the Bible. To be honest with you, all of it is relevant, but nevertheless, um, I want to just focus more and more on what's going on. Obviously, um, uh, the issues that I raised last time uh, related to uh, the uh, ideology itself and the doctrines that are found in the pages of the Quran. oftentimes we uh, realize, uh, basically, as former Muslims, that... uh, there is some sort of a denial uh, among Westerners and and many others uh, that the Quran itself is the main source of the teaching that is found basically, uh, that is carried out, I should say, by the jihadis like ISIS. Now, I get it. I understand I'm not here to promote any kind of hatred, of course, against Muslims. They are my people. My family is still Muslim. I'm a former Muslim, but that doesn't mean that I'm disconnected from them. But nevertheless, what I want really to emphasize here, it takes a cooperation, a big effort here to resolve this problem. Part of that effort, not only just tightening security and basically national security in this case at all of these countries and continents in Europe, in America, in Canada, but also it takes an effort on the Muslims uh, as well and the nations, uh, the governments uh, of uh, Islamic nations to cooperate as well, not only at a national security level, but also at an ideological level in terms of dealing with these teachings and maybe figuring out a way to reinterpret these teachings or to try to emphasize now if what we hear basically is, uh, is true, which I grew up never believing in these things and never even taught, that those commands in the Quran, something like, those who believe fight in the cause of Allah. That is found in chapter four, verse seventy six. Uh, seventy six, uh, for instance. Uh, if commands like this are indeed are historical only, in other words, they're only dealing with events that took place in the past and have nothing to do with today, then we need to really uh, revisit all the books, all the commentaries, all the uh, you know uh, the uh, uh, historical documents that deal with those kind of commands and reinterpret them now, or maybe even destroy and rewrite new ones, a task that I'm pretty sure it won't happen, uh, not because the governments don't want to do it, but because they'll be faced with a lot of resistance. And that's where the problem is. Which side is right among the Muslim communities? Whose inter- interpretation is correct? You have the scholars you know, that will look at it and say, well, it's still valid, but uh, who are we to try to change it? And then you have the jihadis who say it's valid and we're going to carry it out right now. And then you have the moderates who say, you know, it's, maybe it is historical, but it's not for us today. And then there are those that are nominal at best, and they would say, well, who am I to even think this way or that way? I just listen to my own leaders, religious leaders that is. And that's where the problem. Now, if we are not going to face the reality that there is a doctrinal issue, then we will never win this war. And this applies to both Westerners and non-Westerners, Arabs and non-Arabs, Muslims and non-Muslims. We will not win this war. The idea is to deal with the ideology. And as Christians, here is how we win it. It's by the gospel that has the power for salvation. It is by prayer, by relying on the Holy Spirit, by depending on God to be the one who is going to provide for our needs, to protect us by the wearing the full and the whole armor of God that he uh, provided to us and made available for us. And by trusting in that God is sovereign and he knows what's going on. None of this comfort Christianity, none of this denial Christianity. Let's face the truth. The reality is this. Persecution, as I stated in closing of last episode, is real. And it's part of who we are. You don't believe me? Just look at the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at the last two Beatitudes that Jesus mentioned. They deal specifically with persecution. In fact, it's amazing. Persecution is the only thing in the Beatitudes that he repeated twice, as if he knows that we are going to dismiss it. And let's look also at Jesus' teaching, basically, in uh, the Gospels. You know, when Jesus was uh, uh, conducting the Olivet Discourse and in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 24, talking about end times, this is one of some of the things that Jesus says in uh, in Matthew 24, 4. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. Wow, that is very sobering. Sobering. They must happen. Not only rumors of war, but wars also must happen. But the end is still to come, he says, when nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Boy, do we feel like we are going through birth pains right now globally. And what I'm trying to say to us as believers is that let us face the reality here that there is no such thing as comfort in Christianity. That as long as it, if things are going well, that, you know, God is in my side, and if things are not going well, what's going on? No. Actually, if things don't go well and we are persecuted. We need to know that it is at that time when we realize how much God is on our side, actually, how much he will provide for us and protect us. After all, he's prophesied about all these things. This makes even his word even more true today than ever before. But we will come back and visit this. For now, I want us to revisit this terror attack. Let's listen to video number three. Now to an eyewitness to the attack on the metro, Zoya Sheftalovich. And Zoya, I understand that you ran towards the metro when you heard about the explosion. What did you see?
2: I saw uh, a scene of uh, probably around about a dozen to 15 people who had been carried out of the metro and who were lying outside. Uh, the metro entrance on Rue de la Loire, which is the main street that cuts through Brussels in the European quarter. Um, The actual station itself, Malbec, it's just a few hundred meters from the main scene of EU activity, the European Commission and the European Council. It's around about 200 meters away from my office. So I was already basically there when I heard that there had been attacks at Malbec, and I was running towards it to see what was going on.
3: And it has a scene of chaos, and you were able to see the, the, the wounded and casualties being taken. Now, tell us more about this neighborhood. What is around uh, this neighborhood?
2: Around Malbec, um it's really just the heart of the European quarter. The European Commission and Council are nearby, very close, within a few hundred metres. Uh, it's up from the Schumann metro station, which is the main metro station for the European quarter. It's also very close to the European Parliament. Uh, it's probably around about a five to seven-minute walk to the European Parliament. Those are the three main EU institutions in Brussels. It's also very close to the Art Loire area. That's where, for example, for the U.S. embassy is based. Also the Russian embassy is around there. There are several embassies in that area. And that's one stop in the opposite direction from Malbec from Schumann. So this is really the heart of the EU quarter but also the international quarter in Brussels.
3: OK. Zoya Sheftalovic thanks very much uh, for, for that report.
4: And we're going to turn now, George, to the Brussels police spokesman, Christian DeConnick. He joins us on the phone now with the latest on the security situation there now. And, Mr. DeConnick, I know that you're more, most familiar right now with what happened at, in the, the metro station. What is the latest that you could tell us, sir?
0: Well, uh, the information that I uh, could gather is the fact that we had an explosion in the metro station called Malbeek. Um, There are several casualties. We have several people deceased, several people injured, but I don't have exact figures about the uh, casualties yet now. Um, Rapidly, uh, fire department, uh, medical service and police were deployed on the scene. There is a large security perimeter installed now so that uh, all those uh, services can uh, work um, on
4: the scene. And, and the airport as well, and what exactly are the services doing there right now, the police force doing right now at this hour? Well,
0: for the police forces, we have uh, uh, the task to uh, protect the medical services working there and also to prevent people from entering the security perimeter so uh, that there is no danger for the medical service and the fire department to work.
4: And so there was no indication about an imminent attack of of, of any sort?
0: Well, um, normally, terrorist attack, uh, they uh, don't prevent uh, or they don't say on the forehand that uh, they will uh, commit an attack, of course.
4: And the heightened alert that you are under now, can you tell us what precautions are being taken?
0: Well, um, all the all uh, public transport is shut down in Brussels. Uh, there are no buses, no trams, no metro, and the train stations are also closed in Brussels. And uh, the people are asked to remain inside uh, so that um, we, the police, and the security forces can work on the scenes.
4: All right, Mr. Konnick, thank you. And, the, and please know our thoughts are with everyone that is there. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, thank Robin, you. thanks.
3: Well, um The reason why I wanted you to hear this video is not just uh, talking about the attack, but uh, I want you to sense the fear that is being created by attacks like this. Uh, You know, um, the Paris attack um, uh, was horrendous, and right before it, there was another Paris attack uh, against uh, Charlie Hebdo, and uh, before that, there were other minor attacks, and then after the Paris attack, there were a couple of other minor attacks, and. And just uh, as recently as last week, there was the arrest of one of those uh, operatives, uh, a fugitive uh, that was wanted for the Paris attack. And uh, the claim was that uh, he was in the uh, uh, middle of uh, preparing for another attack. And, and uh, uh, the, uh, the hastiness, basically, um, of this recent attack last week in Brussels tells me uh, some things. It's quite possible that ISIS decided to move forward with even a minor attack. And, and I'm sorry to use the word minor because this is usually unlike them. They like to have a lot of atrocities, a lot of uh, uh, you know Hollywood-like movies attacks, basically. But in light of the fact that one of these operatives were captured, maybe they were concerned that he might spill the beans. So they wanted to do something right away. Another reason it could be why their attack was lighter than usual, and it's almost like an uh, Al-Qaeda-like attack versus an ISIS-style attack, it could be that uh, they have suffered the loss of a lot of operatives in the last four months due to the many arrests, basically, that took place, and they yet they suffered, uh, obviously, in the homeland uh, in uh, Iraq and Syria, a lot of losses. So they wanted to send a message that, hey, we're still uh, alive, we have a pulse, we need you. And, of course, they're talking to the Muslims who can can come and join him. There is another uh, also insight here. Uh, ISIS just recently, last week, discovered that uh, the U.S. has a marine base, uh, and this base uh, is uh, called uh, Fire Base Bell. And uh, whether they discovered it by accident or they uh, were tracking it, but nevertheless they launched two attacks against the uh, the base, and now they're probably excited that we finally got our wish that the Americans are coming to fight us. This is exactly what we're hoping for. Let's do an attack in Europe to ignite even a greater interest among European Union now and the U.S. to put uh, put put, uh, put boots on the ground and come and fight us. And of course, there has been a talk for last month that Saudi, uh, among many other Arab nations, have already sent. Uh, uh, you know, uh, ground troops uh, to a base in Turkey with the possibility that they will be launching a ground troop um, uh, in a coalition against ISIS. So uh, it seems like everything is working in favor of ISIS according to their own end time theology. That's exactly what they're hoping for. And specifically, looking at the US as the head basically of this coalition. So there are many theories why this attack in particular took place. It seems like Brussels has been the forefront for the ISIS jihadis and for jihadis in general. Uh, they have been successful in recruiting a lot of the uh, basically Belgium-born uh, uh, Muslims, even though their ancestry comes from a variety of countries, mainly in North Africa. They have been successful basically in recruiting from among the people who were born there, raised there, and they should have enjoyed the freedom that was provided to them. But yet, goes back again to what I was saying. It's a matter of ideology and teachings and faith in that ideology. I mean, what would you so, uh, uh, say, for instance, when you have a, uh, a verse in the Quran, like chapter 4, verse 104, says this, and be not weak-hearted in pursuit of the enemy. This is talking to Muslims who want to be jihadis, that you shouldn't look weak, basically, even if you suffer pain. It says this, if you suffer pain, then surely they too, meaning the nonbelievers, suffer pain as you suffer pain. I mean, look at the language in this verse. It's like telling them, don't worry, you're successful even if you feel like you are in pain. Uh, chapter 5 of the Quran, verse 33. The punishment of those who wage war against Allah and his messenger and strive to make mischief in the land is only this, and it goes on to give you ideas about how to punish those. That includes, by the way, ISIS carried this command in chapter 5, verse 33, against Muslims, actually, in Iraq, because they thought they were spies for the coalition. Chapter 8 of the Quran, verse 12, I will cast terror in the hearts of those who disbelieve. You listen to these video interviews, and do you feel like people are terrified or not? Absolutely. Is that a win for ISIS? Of course it is. So what happened basically to this degrade and destroy uh, idea and plan? Is it working? Well, I basically uh, uh, tend to differ with you that it's not working simply because we are looking at fighting it in the wrong direction. We're not fighting the ideology. We're fighting a group of people that if we eliminate them, the ideology will remain. This is why I call this the ISIS phenomena. It is a phenomena that will repeat itself. You can call it whatever you want today, and it was called other names before, and it will be called other names in the future. The phenomena is still there because the ideology, the doctrine is still there. The heartbeat of that is still there. With that, let's listen to video number four.
1: Breaking news, breaking news, horrible scene at the Brussels airport, as you can see there, At the Brussels airport, there's been two massive explosions in the departure hall of the Brussels airport. Several are dead and several are wounded in a massive explosion at the airport in Brussels, Belgium. And you can see in the picture, people are fleeing you can see from the outside windows there of the airport, smoke rising. The facade tore away. Uh, inside the airport, there is there are bodies. There are several dead. There are several wounded. It has just happened just minutes ago. This report is just now breaking. Uh, it is right now early in the morning. I'm just trying to see what time it is. Um, looks like it's uh, 4 about 4.15 AM this has happened just minutes ago and we do not know how many people are dead we do not know how many people are wounded MSNBC is reporting at least one confirmed dead but uh, they are also reporting several dead, several wounded I'm getting reports also from BBC and from other European uh, news agencies that are saying that several are dead and several are wounded. And those casualty numbers are going to be very fluid. We know that there's been heightened, very concerned of a major uh, attack, a major terrorist attack. And, of course, uh, you know, when you have open borders like the Europeans have in the... uh, uh, in the Eurozone area, and this is partly why you've been hearing that things have to be tightened down. Why there has to be closed borders? That you can't protect your country, especially with as much as many radical Islamic uh, uh, Muslim radicals. Muslim radicals, uh, and we don't know if they caused this. We don't know who caused this at all. I'm not. I'm just saying. Because of all of the explosions and all of the uh, attacks that's been going on in Belgium and in Paris, France. Uh, It's just, this is a horrific scene. We really need to pray for the people that are there in the airport. Many are dead. Many are wounded. And the numbers, what I will do, I will update you on this video. As the numbers come in and the information comes in, it's very fluid right now. There's been two massive explosions in the airport in Belgium. I will adjust the title of this video. I will make changes to the description in this video. I cannot change the content of the video. But at least I do my best to keep you up to speed. Please pray for the people in Brussels, Belgium. As it's a horrific scene. A very horrific scene. Pray for the victims' families. Pray for the injured. And pray for the nation of Belgium that is under terrorist assault. Just like Paris, France. We have to secure the borders. I understand that there, there's the, the Euro, the Euro uh, European Union is now deciding they're going to have to just go to regular passport systems like any other nation would because they can't control the migrant situation. They just can't control the situation now. It's Terrorism has gotten to this point. So be in prayer. Thousands and thousands of people are now out on the uh, runways. Getting away from the explosions. And here's the thing you got to worry about. That That second. There's already been two explosions. So you got to worry about whenever the first responder is coming in. you got to w- worry about another wave. And a lot of times that's the MO of these terrorists. We're in prayer. We'll let you know more as soon as we can. God bless.
3: Well, prayer is all we can do. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, when the Lord was talking about signs of end times, here is what the Lord himself says in verse 20. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. In other words, pray that it doesn't happen in the wrong time when it is least expected. And in verse 21, For then there will be a great distress, unequaled. Notice, unequaled, unprecedented, from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. This is our Lord telling us this. Who are we to try to deny that we are living in a dark world, an evil world, and the only shining light is the gospel? Because in this passage, this is what the Lord told us in verse 14, a powerful verse reminding us that we have a responsibility as the church. This is what he told us. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It really breaks my heart when I hear that the church is excited about movements and things that are happening in the Middle East because they feel this is the second coming of Christ. I'm sorry to tell you that we have not seen anything yet. This is what I want to leave you with. I'm approaching the end, uh, basically, of this episode. I'm sorry to have a sobering message for all of us, but we ought to really realize as believers that we have a responsibility, and our responsibility is to share the gospel and not be ashamed of it, and realize that even if we get persecuted, as the Lord says in verse 9, Matthew 24, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Until we realize this, we will not really grasp the importance of this message that is the light for all nations. My prayer, not only to the people of Brussels, not only to the people people of France, not only to the people of the U.S., not only to the West, but also to my Muslim people who need the peace of Christ, that only his peace that gives not like the world gives Only his peace is the peace that surpasses understanding, but you ought to follow him as your Lord and Savior. Until we meet next week, may the Lord bless you richly.